0: Lowburn Burn Media, an evergreen podcast, presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. It was 50 years ago today that a 15-year-old girl from Littleton was last seen alive. And now, five decades later, investigators still don't know who it was that killed Mary Lee Burt. She was walking home from a basketball game at Goddard Junior High School when she disappeared. Her naked body found the next day under a bridge in Deer Creek Canyon. Someone had sexually assaulted and strangled her. Investigators never found her cheerleading uniform or the books or purse that she had with her. They did find DNA on her body, but never found a match in any local or federal database. The Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office still is actively investigating this case. 50 years later, they say they still get tips about Burt's death every few years. They wanna make it known though. They're still asking for any information. Call Crime Stoppers. You can do so at the number on your screen. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. How are you guys doing these days? Hope you all have been great. I am currently coming off a cold. That's probably why I sound a little odd today. But uh, before we jump into the main subject of this week's episode, I wanted to highlight a couple of cold cases that were recently solved because... We all need a little positivity in this genre, and the first case is of a Maryland high school girl's murder that had been solved after half a century. Now, the Maryland suspect is identified as Forrest Clyde Williams III. Now, he had a criminal record, but he died of natural causes in 2018, so there really isn't any justice there, but... Pamela Lynn Conyers' parents had reported her missing on October 16, 1970, and the case that we're covering today also occurred in that same year. So the 16-year-old didn't return home from running an errand at the mall, and it was four days later that she was found strangled in a wooded area near Anne Arundel County. Now, the family car she had been driving was found nearby, and again, it was 50 years and this case was cold, the FBI and local police said they found a suspect using the DNA gathered from the crime scene decades ago. So kudos to the people that collected that crime scene information because without that, they would never have been able to identify this suspect. And as I mentioned, that is one Forrest Clyde Williams. Now, the officials said that there was no evidence that Conyers knew Williams, but... He did have an arrest for drunk and disorderly conduct and fined for a fishing without a license, which I don't necessarily say would be a justifiable excuse to say you could kill somebody, but whatever. Throw it in there if you want. I guess it's on his record. So uh, FBI agent Tom Soposinski said that we are pleased to deliver a measure of justice for the Conyers families and their loved ones. And he said, cases may grow cold and investigators may change, but this proves that law enforcement and victims are never forgotten. So the investigators had ruled out or have not ruled out another person could be involved in the murder. However, that means that the case remains open. So again, this was a situation where... um, you know, the family was left without any answers, and, you know, the family says, you know, they still mourn her death. They still believe that she's 16, you know, because obviously that's just the way that you always envision somebody. So kudos to those police officers and those investigators for getting that case solved. So again, let's look at another case, and this one is 20 years old. And according to NBC New York... If Megan McDonald was 20 when she was killed now she was an Orange County resident and her body was found in a field in Walkill in March of 2003 and this is an article by Jennifer Millman and Kiki I'm gonna give it a try interswoven but uh, yeah this basically just came out today. So a 42-year-old New York man was arrested in the 2003 murder of Megan McDonald, and that case was featured on Dateline right around uh, coming up to the 20th anniversary. Now, the police announced yesterday that Edward Holly of Yanda had been charged with second-degree murder in McDonald's death, how he would have been in his 20s at the time, and said that he had dated her. Quote, I'm definitely not guilty. Now, this is what he said as he was being pushed in his wheelchair from the barracks towards a waiting car. Quote, I loved her with all my heart. Authorities identified Holly as McDonald's former boyfriend and said he had a strong motive for killing her, though they didn't elaborate on that at the afternoon press conference. They say he's already in county jail for violating probation stemming from an October 2021 narcotics arrest. And, that's when he, and now he's charged with, mcdonald's case details and the information contained in the warrant and what exactly led investigators to holly after two decades weren't made clear but state police say there was no sudden shift and again this was a case where you had somebody that was found in a field and her father was a former new york police detective which is brutal in all possible ways And he had actually uh, died uh, before she had gone missing. So that would have been uh, an extremely traumatic thing. And that was something that I think drove a lot of these investigators. And again, you know, the McDonald's family had just started to worry when they didn't hear from her and she didn't show up for work on the 14th of March, 2003. And again, this is when... They sent out an alert that she needed to be located. She was missing. And there apparently had been a suspect, a second suspect, but that person apparently has died. So, interesting stuff. It's always good to see cases being solved here and there. And we actually see that a lot more often nowadays with, obviously, genealogical DNA and what C.C. Moore and a lot of the other forensic genealogists have been doing. It's quite remarkable work. And, of course, this will bring me right back to the case of Amy Maholovic, which is going on 30-plus years of being unsolved, and it is about time that the technology jumps and gets to the point where they can solve her case, because obviously that's the most passionate case that I've covered, and... It strikes uh, very close to home. So, with all that being said, let's move on to the show and today's main subject, and that is who killed Marilee Burt. Now, again, I like to do cases when I'm in a location that I have not covered a lot of cases, and I've been in Denver for the last year, so this case is something that happened in the suburbs of Denver. And, According to Crime Stoppers, it was a chilly winter evening on February 26, 1970, when a 15-year-old Marilyn Burt finished cheerleading at a basketball game at Goddard Mir- Middle School. Now, her Columbine Valley home was just a short distance away, and when her ride did not show up, she began walking. Despite several independent witnesses seeing Marilyn walk a route that included Barrie Drive, Bowles Avenue, and Middlefield Road, she never made it home. She was last seen talking to someone in a vehicle that had stopped on South Middlefield Road. Her family began a search and reported Lee as missing to the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office. Authorities immediately began canvassing the area, but she was found not that evening, but the following day by a Jefferson County road crew. And it, her body was nude, and this was in Deer Creek Canyon. And this was southwest of where she was last seen. It had been determined that Mary Lee had been strangled and raped, but no solid suspects, leads, or anything of that matter developed, and the case went cold. So it was in a 1998 review of the case that evidence collected in 1970 was submitted for DNA analysis and did actually return a full donor profile. This in turn allowed them to eliminate a long list of suspects. So the cold case team is trying to again utilize this new genetic technology and try to identify Mary Lee's killer. Now, again, according to the Associated Press, after she went missing, the police were conducting an investigation into the slaying of 15 year old Mary Burt and. They were trying to trace down a truck-type vehicle allegedly involved in the abduction of the quote-unquote pretty young cheerleader. So Captain Ed Nelson of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office told the Associated Press that 50 to 70 leads they had gotten from some 120 different families in the Columbine Valley area where the girl was believed abducted were being investigated. So, some people definitely thought they saw a truck apparently at 6:50 p.m. and that was on Middlefield Road near the Country Club of Columbine. And again, that was in Arapahoe County. The clue that a truck may have been involved in the murder of Mary Lee was actually brought to the attention of the police by her brother, 16-year-old Raymond Burt. Bert told police that he had seen a truck stop at about the same place he had seen a blonde haired girl with pigtails walking on Middlefield Road the night the girl disappeared. Quote All indications suggest that the girl in pigtails was merely Bert, according to Captain Stanley Smith of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Now, an Arapahoe County posse, again, this is the 1970s, of approximately 20 men under the direction of Inspector David Teach was checking leads all day Sunday. Captain Nelson said, Meanwhile, eight investigators from his department canvassed families in the Columbine Valley area and talked with associates of the girl and examined past records of known sex offenders. Nelson did say that three detectives of the Englewood Police Department were also helping with the investigation. So Jefferson County Coroner Ken Rainey did announce shortly after the autopsy that she had probably died of strangulation. Now, she had suffered a blow to the head from a blunt object, but did not cause a skull fracture. But it did probably knock her unconscious so he had said this. He said there was also evidence, unfortunately, that the girl had been sexually assaulted. As with most cases, a reward was issued for any information in regards to the disappearance of this 15-year-old girl. Now, it was the officials at the Metropolitan Denver Automobile Dealers Association who announced a $5,000 reward right after the abduction and discovery of the body. So she was the granddaughter of Nate Burt, who was the head of the Englewood automobile firm. Eventually, they said that there was a car that may have been involved. And Sheriff Roy Vote of the Arapahoe County said at the time, and this is 1970, that they believed that they were looking for a car that pulled onto Middlefield Road about 6.50 p.m. on the night that Mary Lee was abducted while walking back to her house. The body of the 15-year-old, again, was found the next day by the road crew in Deer Creek Canyon. And, of course, this is in Jefferson County. Now, of course, as I mentioned, she had been raped and strangled. And Sheriff Voigt said that several persons had also reported seeing a pickup truck on the road at that time. Now, the truck, this was the truck that the brother had acknowledged as well. It was believed to be a late model, light-colored with a light top and dark bottom. They did not provide a description of the car, although. So... That may be a red herring, so who knows? But again, Mary Lee was a student at Goddard Middle School in Littleton and was the daughter of N. Allen Burt, vice president and general manager of Burt Chevrolet County or Colorado in Inglewood. And so it's interesting how a lot of these automobile companies get involved with these. Um, Investigations, and I think it's a it's a good community service to do. Obviously, they have a connection with the father and the grandfather, and you know there have been other cases where I know in the Amy Mahalovic case that there was at least a ten thousand dollar reward issued by the Buick Dealers Association in Cleveland. So you never know. I don't know. It's um, maybe there's something there. I mean, I doubt it's anything nefarious, but we all know that. There are weird things that happen, so who knows? You never know. Anyway, uh, as police were trying to figure out what the hell happened to Marilee because, again, the case went cold really quickly, they started comparing them to other cases, and her case was compared to Mrs. Helen Maine Richards, who was 39, and she was discovered under a two-inch blanket of snow. She was apparently a secretary at the Psychological psychology department of the University of Denver. Now, the stabbing death of Mrs. Richards, police said, is similar. Some details of the slaying of the 15-year-old Marilee Burt and the shooting death of Miss Betty Lee Jones are also similar. Again, who knows? These things can happen all the time. So, let's fast forward to 2020. Kristen Haubrich of KDVR wrote the story, Who Killed Marilee Burt? And it goes to say, This is a question that has puzzled detectives for decades. The teenage cheerleader was brutally killed half a century ago, and there are still no arrests in her case. Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office said, Recent tips have come in that have now made Burt's death a top priority for the cold case unit. She was so vibrant, so full of energy, said Marin Burt, Marilee's niece. It was the night of February 6th, 26, 1970, when 15-year-old Marilee Burt was a cheerleader and performed at the basketball game at Goddard Junior High. After the game, she walked toward her home in Columbine Valley. Quote, she had her little Goddard cheerleader uniform on and her hair in pigtails and started to walk home, Marin said. The family said Marilee's brother, Raymond, happened to be driving home around that time and saw a girl with pigtails, but they said he didn't recognize the girl because it was dark, and it was just figured that it wouldn't be his sister walking home, and that is me going off script, obviously, there. Quote, I believe my dad had been further up and had seen Marilee in his rearview mirror, and he'd seen her stop to talk to a person in the vehicle, but it was far away, and he didn't realize it if it was her or not, and that was according to Marin. Quote, she turned to speak with the person in the vehicle, which in theory, we have always said, we think it was someone she had known. So as we all know, the body was found the following day, but of course her killer has never been found. Parent, Mary's parents, unfortunately, died without knowing whatever happened to their daughter. And again, this is one of those situations where you see a family struggle with uh, 20 years of 50 years of unknowing just tragedy. I mean, it's just tragic. And to think that the family had to pass on without knowing who committed this terrible crime is just another tragedy. And that's all I can say about that. Now, police did find DNA on Merrily's body, but they have not found anything in federal or local databases. So, again, let's say, good job to the police for collecting that stuff and having saved it. Because if they didn't, then we wouldn't at least have a profile. And again, with that profile, they were able to eliminate so many different suspects. And even though he's not in the system, with the way that genealogical DNA works and ancestry DNA, all that other stuff, It'll be very interesting to see if this case does not fall into that category that one C.C. Moore would eventually solve because I could see it happening definitely in this case. So I don't know. I'm left to sit here and ponder that the case is still cold. The tips are still coming in. And according to the Metro Denver Crime Stoppers, they've actually increased the reward to thirty thousand dollars. And according to the uh, head, you know, the president of the Metro Denver Crime Stoppers uh, board, that would be Michael Mills. He said. Quote, this is not a cold case by any means. Every year we receive several tips on this case, and we're hoping with the generosity of the anonymous donors that we will finally be able to identify who perpetrated this horrific crime against Mary Lee. So, with that being said, this case is really, really, really cold. So, it is important to highlight cases like this because even though they're short, there's not a lot of information out there. Uh, a lot of the stuff came from newspapers.com. I know uh, KDVR did a great uh, story on this. Nine News did a story. Uh, I referenced many of them throughout this episode. And the families of these victims, you know, the cases from the beginning of the show to the case that we just discussed, are, again, their victims and they're like perpetual victims when there are no answers. So the fact that there are still people working on this case, I think that should help a little bit. But to be honest, there is never going to be a solution to this problem when cases just don't have the evidence to work with. I know that they have DNA, but if nobody committed a crime, who's to say this person's even alive? And like we talked about in the first case you know that person died in 2018 so we could easily be talking about somebody who's already passed on but it would still be nice to find justice and again let's just be real and everybody wants to see justice for these families and whether or not it will provide closure that's a whole nother topic and i won't even go there because i couldn't even relate and i believe that for these families, it's important to keep these stories out in the news. Mary Lee's story is scary as all hell because if you were 15 and you were walking home and you were abducted, I mean, my gosh, I mean, clearly that would be the worst thing ever, but it is every parent's worst nightmare, every child's worst nightmare to have a truck or a car creep up on you as you're walking home and you're completely vulnerable. This little girl was in her cheerleading outfit. I mean, 1970 serial killer era, you know, it was it was the middle of it because the interstates were built, people could drive around. There were so many things that just made things more I guess easy to commit and the fact that there wasn't the technology that we have today when it comes to DNA, that people were able to get away with crimes a lot easier. I don't think that that's necessarily a deterrent today, but it is something that's interesting to look back upon because, sure, they had fingerprints back then, they had blood typing, but that was really it. Maybe a little bit of hair analysis, and then they did that all junk science, you know, with the bite mark analysis. You know, that's been debated in court and people don't necessarily believe all that stuff and nor should they because we've seen situations where fingerprints can be doctored uh we've seen situations where hell a twin has been arrested and put in prison for committing a crime because their dna is you know it's just one of those wild things that we can Figure out this stuff now, and twenty years ago, thirty years ago, that stuff wasn't even on the table. Maybe it was thirty years ago, but again, I think the first case was like '86. They used DNA, so it's still pretty new. They're still really getting that science down. Thank you to people like CC for continuing to do the work that all these people do. Parabon Nano Labs, and uh, you know, all the different, you know. Different uh, databases out there, basically, is what I'm trying to get at. And so I think it's very cool that they continue to do the work and the technology only gets better and better, and we will continue to see more and more cases solved as these cases get reviewed. Because remember, we don't have a bunch of people sitting around reviewing these cold cases. Now there are 250,000 unsolved homicides... And we could probably use a lot of help in doing so. So let's pull back that plan I had about the FBI and, you know, why don't you spend those five years after retirement working in a cold case department? That would be pretty sweet. So that's just my suggestion. And that's pretty much all I've got for you this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know this week's episode was short, but we are going to have a good episode coming up with Nick from the True Crime Garage on another Colorado case that is unsolved. So, if you guys are interested in donating to the show, you could do so by going on Venmo and using my username at whokilled. Or, heck, if you want to leave a review, you can do so. And again, I drop new episodes every Friday. So feel free to tune in. I have a back catalog of about 200 plus episodes, so check those out as well. The first 16 are all about the case on Amy Maholovic. So if you're interested in the Amy Maholovic case, I would highly recommend going back and starting with episode October 27th, 1989. And again, that will get you going on this podcast. And thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. And if you guys... You want to send me any feedback please do but follow me on twitter at bill huffman 3 and again thank you so much for listening until next week as always stay healthy and be safe coming up on five minute news i'm anthony davis Yeah. You-